Welcome to the Stock of the Town podcast. This is John and Karen Pendleton with Pendleton's Country Market. We live in the Kansas River Valley just outside of Lawrence, Kansas. We've been farming over 40 years and we want to share about our farm and our community. Our farm currently specializes in growing vegetables, cut flowers, and spring bedding plants. Today we're going to talk about one of the more interesting days in our married life. It was uh, uh, a day that could have changed our lives drastically different than what it ended up being. And it's a story that uh, people actually in Lawrence, the local uh, community we live in, most people aren't aware of because when asked if Karen wanted to have this in the newspaper, if her name was going to be printed, uh, she said, no, don't include uh, my name. This was when we were early on in our career growing things and selling things. 95, let's see, is that the date? November 10th, 1995. November 10th, 1995. And it's an incident that happened that uh, when asked if Karen wanted to be included in the news media, you said, no, I don't want to waste good press on something that was of this nature. <laughs> well, and the name of our podcast is The Stock of the Town, Our Farm and Our Community. And feeling a part of a community has always been a comfort to me, and it was never as evident as that morning 28 years ago. There had been a bank robbery in Lenexa the day before, a gentleman uh, robbed the bank and he ran out of the bank with the bag of money. A bread truck had blocked the getaway car and so he dropped the bag of money and carjacked a gal who was driving a car and so he was in the car with her, made her drive to Lawrence and when they stopped at uh, at 23rd and Haskell, which was then the Ampride gas station for the local co-op, he pulled over to make a telephone call and she was able to get out of the car and ran zigzag and got away from him. He then got out of the car and tried to take hostages of people who worked at the filling station, but they were able to get away and then he was on the run. So this had all been on the news that evening and the Lawrence schools were in lockdown. The kids couldn't go home and unless they were riding the bus or their parents picked them up. Uh, they didn't know where this guy was. They had dogs chasing him or, or trying to find a scent to find him. But it was a real windy day, like 30 or 40 mile an hour winds, and they couldn't ever pick up a scent. So he was never found. It made the news in Kansas City since the robbery happened in Lenexa. And so it wasn't just a Lawrence thing. It was a Kansas City thing. So it made all the big TV stations and uh, the Kansas City Star uh, did an article about this particular bank robber and the fact that he hijacked this car and then was lost in Lawrence. Hank Booth on the radio here in town said that they had not found the bank robber, and so it, people should be aware that he's out there. He thought surely he would have left town because who would stay around uh, when he knew everyone in town was looking for him? So that morning of November 10th, I was getting ready to take Will to school, and your comment was, don't let the bad guy get you. And 
we both kind of giggled and that was it's kind of a silly thing to think about but okay and so I took Will to school dropped him off at preschool I was in a hurry to get home because we were getting ready for an open house that I would be selling dried flowers at and I had to get a lot of things made up to have this open house and so I was really excited I dropped him off at school I had two and a half hours that I could get something done As I was coming home on 15th Street at the intersection of 15th and Haskell, a gentleman in a white truck was beeping his horn through the intersection and ran the stop sign. And I thought, well, maybe it was a, you know, an off-duty police officer who had a lead on that bad guy. I, I I didn't think too much about it. I continued on east on 15th Street because we lived on 15th Street at the time. A car pulled out in front of me and it was going very, very slow and I was in this hurry to get home. As I was following him, and as I was getting close to the railroad tracks on the east side of town, I saw that the same white truck had gone three miles while I had gone one. I had gone a mile east, and he had gone a mile north, a mile east, and was coming back around to the south. He was going too fast and just ran into the... Across the road and into the ditch. Into the ditch. And then the the car that was in front of me that was going real slow just ran right into this truck. And it was kind of bizarre. I picked up my bag phone and I was kind of excited because I was going to be able to use my bag phone for an emergency uh, back before we had real cell phones that you could walk around with. And I picked up my bag phone to call and then I realized I really didn't know if maybe somebody might be hurt and I thought I needed to find out if the gentleman in the car was hurt or the man in the truck was okay so I saw the the man get out of his truck and check on the person who was in the car who I thought was just a little old man in there and he seemed frustrated and then he looked at me and then I saw that he had a big gun in his hand and he started running towards me And about the time he was about 15 feet away from me, he shot two bullets at my car. I didn't know quite what to do, so I I could either go forward and run over him, which didn't seem like a good idea, so I put it in reverse. The ditches on either side of the road were really deep, so I was concerned about turning around, but I feel like I did a Starsky and Hutch turnaround, real, you know, really tight turnaround and went the other direction. And in my rearview mirror, I could see the man who had gotten out of the truck get into the little old man's car. Back seat. Back seat. And they took off down 15th Street. Well, at this point, I realized that was probably the bank robber and I needed to call 911. And I don't know if you've ever been in an emergency where you have to dial 911, trying to get my finger to hold still long enough to hit the 9 and the 1 and the 1. They just they just kept moving around, shaking. Anyway, I got them called. They said, what's your emergency? I said, I think I just got shot at by the bank robber that robbed the bank in Lenexa last night. And he's going east on North 1500 Road towards Eudora. And she said, where are you located? And I said, I, I was so proud. The 911 address numbers had just come into use that week. And I said, I'm at East 1725 Road and North 1500 Road. And I remember the dispatch saying, and, and where is that? 
<laughs> and so I said, it's where 11th Street comes around and meets up with 15th Street out in the country. Just so she, north of farmland industries. Right. Yeah. So she knew exactly where I was. And she says, well, you stay right there. A deputy will come and be with you, but there will be a lot of law enforcement driving by. The dispatcher also asked me, are you okay? And this had been 30, 40 seconds after he had shot at me. And I didn't know if I was okay. And I actually looked down and looked around. And yes, no, I was not hit. I was perfectly fine. But then I realized our windshield was was cracked. And then later when I saw the car, where he had shot the bullets was right in front of the driver, an inch and two inches below the windshield. So when I say he missed me by an inch or two, that's exactly the way it was. I think that's what got me when I saw the car with the bullet holes. I realized how close it was that uh, that you should have been hit. And the fact that it hit the tin of the hood of this gray safari minivan that we had, that uh, it somehow took the impact of those bullets and the firewall above the engine stopped the bullets and and they probably shouldn't have been stopped but uh they they ended up being lodged not in the engine but just uh kind of in the the tin of the body of the car uh gray car actually is not a bad color because you can cover the bullet holes with gray tape well i didn't want the kids to see the bullet holes and you can't drive around town with bullet holes in your car and it It was two weeks before they could get a new hood. So, yes, we covered the holes with gray tape, and it was a nice reason to have a gray car. (laughs) So I was sitting there out in the country by myself for a little bit, but the first person who came by was a lady from Eudora, and she had a daycare, and she had five or six little kids in the back of her van, and they were heading into Lawrence. She stopped, and she said, Are you okay? I saw what happened. And... I just looked at her. What came out of my mouth was silly, but all I could say was, I don't have time for this. Because I was thinking, I was going home to get some work done today, and I was going to be in court for the next few years with all of this. She went on, and the sheriff's deputy came to take my statement and and sit with me until everything was done. Then all of a sudden, uh, pickup trucks with um, law enforcement people with long guns were whizzing past us out east of town, and the bank robber had gone uh, actually to our road where our farm is on, but rather than turning towards our farm, it went north uh, towards the river. And... I was sitting with a deputy then, Carrie Wimpy, who you went to school with her husband, and our kids were in school together, and they were in 4-H together, and so very, very good friends. So I sat with Carrie in the car, and she was describing to me what was being said over the radio because I couldn't tell anything that was being said. They have all the codes and everything. and um, So she kind of kept me informed of what was going on. And then she asked me what kind of gun he had. And I said, well, it was big and it was silver. So she's showing me types of guns of what it should be. And I, I, I later found out it was a 357 caliber gun, which is a fairly big gun, I guess. I still don't know much about guns. <laughs> but then after about an hour, it came over the radio that a police officer had been hit 
that he was just wounded in the arm, but that the bank robber had killed himself. And so then the whole event was over, except everybody was coming back into town. A KBI officer got in the back of the car where I was sitting with Carrie to take my statement, and he got as far as, now, what is your name? And I said, Karen Pendleton, and I gave him my address and all basic information. And then Ron Oland, who was the chief of police at the time, stopped. He was on his way back into town from the scene and said, uh, Karen, should I call John and Al? Do they know everything of what's going on? And I, I said, oh, John had already been here and seen the car, and, and they know what's going on, but you don't need to call them. And he was in Sertoma with your dad. And he had been in Leadership Lawrence with you, so he was quite the friend. As I recall, the bank robber was sitting in the back seat of the car when he took off towards the east, got to our road, went north to the river, and ended up stopping close to the river, I'm assuming. I never did actually hear where he got out of the car. The bank robber took keys to the car and we later found out that the reason why the person looked like a little old man and was driving slow and a little bit erratic and why the bank robber seemed frustrated when he checked with the person driving that car it was actually a young fellow that was a paraplegic and had a wheelchair behind the steering wheel he was using hand controls to be able to uh, manipulate the car going down the road. So I think the bank robber was frustrated because he knew that he couldn't drive that car very easily, and that's why he got into the into the back seat of that car, taking his uh, car keys away, and then and then leaving, and uh, started running a little bit east on the bank of the river and uh, lots of trees and whatnot. And that's when all the KBI and the KU police and the Douglas County Sheriff and the Lawrence police and and whoever else uh, ended up being there on the chase and and started uh, closing in on him. The next person to come after the chief of police was the sheriff. And the sheriff at the time, he said, well, the the county would pay for any counseling, so let, let him know if I needed some counseling. But I ought to call his wife. His wife was a good friend and was our daughter's second grade teacher. And we, we've done his daughter's weddings, the flowers for their weddings. And so he visited for a little while. And then all these cars were just lining up to, to head back into town because the situation was over. And they were all stopping at the car to talk. Don Crow came by. Don Crow just happens to be our son Will's godfather. He and his wife are godparents. And so he stopped by and make sure I was okay and said, well, we'll have dinner later and we can we can get together. Buddy Deeth, a next door neighbor, stopped by and, and said, I will stop by tonight just to make sure that, that you're okay. One of the next deputy sheriffs was Ken McGovern, who later became sheriff. He asked if he should pick up Liz and Margaret at school. And I thought, oh, dear, no, I don't want you to go to school and scare them half to death. They didn't know anything about this. So I told him to, no, go on. uh, uh, We'll just let him ride the bus home. Yeah, (laughs) let him ride the bus. (laughs) I said, no, let him let him ride the bus home. That, That would be fine. And his wife also, she was my hairdresser. So there was a connection there. And our kids were the same ages. 
the last person who came through was Ron Wilson and our kids were all in 4-H together and we'd done a lot of 4-H activities together but we were born on the same day of the same year so it was always a big laugh when we would celebrate birthdays together so so this poor kbi officers in the back of the car can't get a word in edgewise because of all these deputies and and uh, law enforcement people stopping to see if i'm okay and finally he said ma'am i've got down you are karen pendleton you live in lawrence kansas but who are you and at that time we just had a real connection with a lot of law enforcement people. I think that we were of the age where we had a lot of common interests and common activities. That, common friends. Right. Absolutely. So that, that was interesting. Did you say, well, I'm the asparagus lady? <laughs> I did not say that. <laughs> so then Carrie went ahead and took me home. She had to go to the scene to make reports. But she was planning on going to a school to give a school program for the sheriff's department. So she had a pair of shoes on, but no socks. So I went upstairs and got her a pair of socks. And we'd been there for about two or three hours. So we both had to go to the bathroom. And all of a sudden, I hear John say, Channel 9 is driving in in the driveway. And Bev Chapman came to the door and asked if she could interview me. And I said, no. And, and, And Bev Chapman is a good customer of ours. Back then, she was a reporter for Channel 9 and would come over to Lawrence and do stories about picking asparagus and some of the lighthearted stories sometime. And she and her husband, Steve, have been longtime customers to the asparagus field. And so we knew her quite well. We asked, how in the world did you know that uh, this had happened and Bev said that she had been listening to the dispatch over the police radio and there was a comment about Pendleton vehicle being impounded and so being a good news reporter she just went ahead and called up uh, Douglas County Sheriff's Department and said uh, are John and Karen okay and they said, oh, they're fine. We just had to impound their car because of the, the evidence from the, the bullets. And so Bev actually knew where we lived. We didn't live at the farm at the time, but just down the road. So Bev came to our house directly to try and see if she could get an interview. As I recall, you didn't want to talk to anybody. <laughs> I, I did not. And uh, so finally she said, well, we'll, we'll just uh, video you from the back. No, but we won't show your face. Why I said, okay, I don't know. But anyway, so here I am being interviewed about being shot at. And the video is from the back. But at that time, I had long hair, and I always wore it down in a braid down my back. And anybody who watched it that night knew that it was me. (laughs) Recognized the back of your head and also recognized your voice. In fact, I think that uh, Channel 9 story played at 10 o'clock news over into Salina, where some of your relatives heard your voice. They weren't watching the TV, but they heard your voice and knew something had happened and so called immediately and and asked what in the world happened and is everything okay? Yeah, they hadn't been paying attention to the news. They just heard me. And so that's when they called. So then John went to the sheriff's department and asked them for the bullets. And this was all unbeknownst to me. So you want to tell them what you did with the bullets? Well, I I thought it'd be nice to try and make something out of this. And since it was not, uh, the lead pieces were not 
something that they needed for evidence anymore since the bank robber had killed himself. In fact, that was kind of a relief immediately for you, as I recall, because then you realized that you weren't going to be spending the next two years in court (laughs) talking about what was at his trial. So I went to a Goldmakers jewelry store downtown Lawrence, Kansas, and walked in with a couple of little pieces of lead. And, and um, the owner of Goldmakers, Peter, met me and, and I said, can I have something custom made? And uh, sure, we both sat down at a, at a desk and I pulled out the two little chunks of lead and put it on the desk. And, and I said, can you make something out of this? And he had kind of a confused look on his face and he puts it on a piece of paper and he's scribbling with a pencil as if he's making a chain and kind of trying to figure out how to make a pendant with this mangled up lead. And I said, no, I'm thinking more in terms of can you cast this in the form of like a guardian angel? Oh, yeah. No, I, that'd be easy to do. So we went over to the sales counter found a guardian angel that they had already on hand in their retail selection and said, how does that look? And uh, I said, no, that looks great. So basically we used that guardian angel to make a cast to be able to then pour the lead into to make a guardian angel out of the bullets. Peter said, that lead's not gonna be real good on clothing. It's gonna mark up clothing and and it's maybe, boy, it'd be nice to cast it into something. And and so I had enough time to look and he, he was saying it'd be nice to maybe put some gold around it or something. And uh, I checked with my folks and sure enough, we had uh, some of the old relatives, hunks of gold teeth sitting uh in the back of i'm not sure where <laughs> and and so i took uh i, I took it, it was in the bank box it was in the bank <laughs> ah, that's right i guess it was it was in the bank box so so i i took some uh, uh some ancestral uh teeth to uh to gold makers and said hey can you uh, use this and sure enough um, he melted down the gold, put the guardian angel into that piece, and then put a good heavy-duty clasp on the back of it. And uh, it's something that every once in a while we'll pull it out. And, and to tell that story of uh, how that came about, it takes a while, as you can tell. It, the story's a long one for, uh, for what we get, but uh, it was nice to be able to present to you a, a guardian angel made out of the bullets that really probably should have gone through uh, the tin of the hood of the car and the tin of the firewall. Um, I, I truly believe that there there was uh, an intervention that kept it from uh, traveling and, and hitting you because it would have been right on the target. A uh, little piece of bullet or tin flicked up and hit the windshield and that's what cracked the windshield but the two bullets were just right straight in front of your torso well i was glad to be alive (laughs) and uh you know it it was later when i did find out that he used a 357 caliber gun at close range and that there was absolutely no reason that the bullets should not have come through the hood of the vehicle and and then hit me Law enforcement personnel were telling me it was a miracle, and I often wear that guardian angel pin, and I truly believe that it's been touched by an angel.
The fellow's name was William Post, and he was called the Catman of Leavenworth. In fact, I think there was a book written about Leavenworth inmates and their stories. And, and while he was interviewed in the penitentiary, he actually said uh, something to the effect of, well, I always dreamt of what it would be like to uh, be caught up in a blaze of fire shootout with uh, with law enforcement. And so uh, he I, he wasn't uh, he wasn't concerned about using that gun by any means. Well, in, in that book, he also said that the thrill of the chase was just too intoxicating. He just couldn't help himself. To be a bank robber, to, mm-hmm. to be involved with that. He had not been out of prison that long. I think he had spent 22 out of the uh, previous 25 years in prison. And so when he got out and had a failed bank robbery attempt and then hijacked a car to Lawrence that uh, included us in a way that we would just have soon not to have done. But there were people that, uh, like I said... In, here in Lawrence had no idea that were actually in the news media later found out that you had been involved with the bank robber and it never made it in the newspaper. It never made it on the le- local radio station. Once again, we found that the community that we have, our friends, people that we work with on a day-to-day basis and sometimes not on a day-to-day basis are important in our lives and we really do appreciate it. Once again, thank you for listening to us on our Stock of the Town podcast. Please be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and check out our website at pendletons.com. Remember to follow us at the Stock of the Town as we talk about our farm and our community. You can donate to the Stock of the Town and help us to continue to be advertiser-free and to produce higher quality podcasts each week. Just click on the support the show link on wherever you listen to your podcast. And as always, thank you for supporting our podcast by telling your friends, family, and coworkers about the stock of the town, our farm, and our community.